Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for being here with us today. So early in the book of Romans, Paul thoroughly explains what it means to be justified by faith. He says that Jesus took the wrath we deserved for our sin when his body was broken and his blood was shed on the cross. His perfect righteousness has been credited to our accounts. Our sins are forgiven and we no longer fear the day of judgment. This is all good news, right? But what do we do between now and then? Do our everyday lives look the same as they did before? After we come to believe in Christ, do we just wait around and twiddle our thumbs until we die or he returns? Or as Paul asked last week, do we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Do we use God's grace as license to sin? So for justified people, what happens now? Well, Paul started to answer that question last week and continues answering it today. In chapter 6, Paul told us that justified people have died to sin. We no longer serve it, but serve God. We walk in newness of life. In short, justified people are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit is transforming us from the inside out, making us into what God has already graciously declared us to be. Righteous. The one-time event of our justification frees us from sin's condemning power in the next life. But sanctification is the ongoing, spirit-driven process of being freed from sin's power in this life. Now, of course, sin will still hang around. Justified people will still be tempted, will still fall, and will confess and repent. But sin no longer reigns over us the way it once did. Sin is no longer our master. Because we have died to it, and we must not. We cannot keep living in it. But today in chapter 7, Paul continues answering that question of what now for justified people. And he shifts his relationship, he shifts his focus from our relationship to sin to our relationship to God's law. And Paul will echo much of what he said last week. He uses imagery of death versus life, slavery versus freedom, and talks about bearing fruit for God. And then when we get to the end of chapter 7, there's also an interesting few verses that spur a great deal of debate amongst Christians. But the core issue of Romans 7 is this. What do people who are justified by faith, believers in Christ, what do we do with the law? If we are not justified by works of the law then what role does the law play in our lives? So with that, open up to Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Feel free to use our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the week-in, week-out opportunity to worship you. There are so many things in this world and so many things in our lives that are unpredictable and unstable and maybe even chaotic at times. But, Father, we 
Thank you for the opportunity that we have each week to gather here and worship you. Regardless of what's happening at home, regardless of what's happening at school or at work, every single Sunday morning there are people here worshiping you. And Father, we are grateful for that. I pray that we would not take that for granted. And Father, thank you for calling us here. Even though we are very different people from very different backgrounds and places and experiences, you have called us together to worship you this morning. And Father, I pray that our worship would be honoring to you. And we ask that you be with us as we read your word. I ask that your spirit and your word would convict and challenge and encourage and comfort us all at the same time. Father, we may need one of those things, particularly this morning. We may need all of those things this morning. And we trust your word to do those things. And Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose and ascended and will return. We thank you that his body was broken and his blood was shed for our sins. And we thank you that by faith, we are justified. Again, we love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin reading in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So as we saw last week, justified people no longer relate to sin the way we once did. And the same is true of our relationship with the law. Now, in this passage, that phrase, the law, likely refers specifically to the law of Moses in the Old Testament. That's the rules of God that Moses received from God on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And the law includes the Ten Commandments that many of us know pretty well. But it also includes books like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Part of numbers, all of those things. It includes the laws that make a lot of sense to us today that seem pretty reasonable, but it also includes the laws that seem bizarre and strange and foreign. But Paul says that justified people have died to that law and now belong to Christ. Like a widow or a widower, we're no longer obligated to an old spouse. And are free to marry another. We are now one with Christ, no longer bound to the law the way we once were. And then Paul adds that justified people have died to the law and belong to Christ. 
in order that we may bear fruit for God. In order that we may bear fruit for God. Now that sounds a little bit strange. Because when the Bible speaks of bearing fruit, it's usually referring to producing good works of righteousness, worship, and obedience. That's what it means to bear fruit. So how is it that dying to the law, the rules of God that outline and command righteousness, worship, and obedience, how is it that dying to the law would enable us to bear fruit for God? Well, Paul explains that instead of enabling us to bear fruit for God, the law actually aroused our sinful passions. Another translation says that the law provoked our sinful passions, that we bore fruit for death, not fruit for God. How does that happen? Well, it's that classic principle of the forbidden fruit, isn't it? We sinners have a knack for desiring and pursuing things that we're told not to desire or pursue. When you're a rebellious teenager, your crush becomes that much more attractive when you find out your parents don't approve of them, don't they? When you see a sign that says, do not walk on the grass, what happens? All of a sudden, you have an urge to walk on that grass that you never would have had if not for the sign. Well, the law had the same effect for sinners. Instead of preventing sinful passions from developing within us, the law actually brought our sinful passions to the surface. But Paul says that we are now released from that law. We are no longer captive to the law's demands for justification. We have already been justified by faith in Christ, and we bear fruit for God not by the law, but by the power of of the Holy Spirit. But let's go back to our what now question. What do justified people do now when it comes to the law? I mean, if all this stuff that Paul is saying is true, if we have died to the law and belong to Christ, if we are no longer captive to the law, but released to serve by the power of the Holy Spirit, if the law didn't help us bear fruit for God, but actually aroused or provoked our sinful passions. If all that stuff is true, then what do justified people do with the law? This is where you get into some very practical, some very nitty-gritty questions of our everyday Christian lives. For a long time now, many people have used Paul's gospel as an excuse to dispense with God's law and maybe even the rest of the Old Testament, entirely. Many view the law in the Old Testament as dusty, antiquated, and irrelevant for modern, justified people. I mean, we believe in Christ. We're justified by faith. Why even bother with the Old Testament? We have the New Testament. We've been released from all that old stuff. We often think that the Old Testament and the law are to just be swept into the dustbin of history. At least the parts that are hard to understand. At least the parts that make us uncomfortable. So is that what Paul is saying here? Again, if all this stuff is true, 
Does that mean that the Old Testament law was a mistake? That justified people can leave in the past? Well, look at what he says in verse 7. Paul writes, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment. Paul talks about sin almost like it's a person. Sin seized an opportunity through the commandment and produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So like he did last week, Paul addresses two questions that his teaching may have unearthed. Question number one is back in verse 7. Is the law sin? Is the law sin? I mean, if all this stuff that Paul just said about the law is true, is the law sin? And if the answer to that question is yes, then that makes God look incompetent at best. Because he gave a law that ultimately proved harmful. Or it makes him look like the author of sin at worst. And then question number two is seen in verse 13. Did the law bring death to me? In other words, if it's the law that provoked my sinful passions, does that mean that I can blame it and ultimately blame God in a roundabout way for my sin? Because God, if you hadn't given that law, maybe I wouldn't be in this situation. Maybe I wouldn't have broken it if you hadn't given it to me. But for both questions, like Paul did last week, he offers a resounding no. Is the law sin? No. Did the law bring death to me? No. You see, the problem isn't the law. The problem is us. A sinner trying to be justified by the law is like trying to cram a VHS into a DVD player. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the VHS. It's simply incompatible with what you're trying to put it into. You're trying to play it on the wrong thing. And when your parents warn you about that teenage crush, and you find yourself desiring and pursuing them all the more, that doesn't mean that your parents have done something wrong. That sign that says, do not walk on the grass, may provoke you to want to walk on the grass, but if you break the rule, if you disobey the sign, the problem is with you, not with the sign. So Paul maintains that the law is holy and righteous 
and good. But the problem is that the people who receive the law, you and I, are not holy and righteous and good. In other words, the fact that the law aroused and provoked our sinful passions says a lot more about us than it does about the law. The law could never justify sinners because sinners wouldn't let it. It was incompatible with us. Sinners trying to justify themselves by the law is like trying to play a VHS on a DVD player. It just won't work. And here's the thing. God knew this. God knew this all along. The law was not intended to justify sinners to begin with. In Romans 8.3, Paul says that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do what the law could not do. In Galatians 3, starting in verse 23, Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Very similar language to Romans 7. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. The law was a temporary measure until Christ came. Peter, in one of his sermons in Acts chapter 13, says this at the close. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, referring to Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. In the book of Hebrews, the author spends several chapters showing that the law, the old covenant with all its trappings, was not up to the task of ultimately and finally addressing mankind's sin. It wasn't meant to do that once and for all. Only Christ can do that. So the law was good for a lot of things. The law was not a mistake on God's part. That's why Paul insists that the law is still holy, righteous, and good. It provided a sense of order for daily life in Israel. It taught God's people about his character and his expectations for them. Paul says that the law served to expose and identify sin for what it really is. The law teaches us just how rebellious and deserving of death we really are. In other words, the law has a place in the Christian life. But do not think for a second that it can justify you. This is not because something was wrong with the law but because something is wrong with us, namely sin. And only Jesus can ultimately and finally deal with that. So justified people have died to the law, belong to Christ, and by the Holy Spirit can now bear fruit for God. But then seemingly out of nowhere, chapter 7 takes an interesting twist. Because Paul begins talking about how someone relates to God's law, and brings up a lot of debate. In verses 14 through 25, the question goes something like this. The debate looks like this. Is Paul talking about himself in these verses, or is he talking about someone else? 
Is Paul talking about someone before they believe, before they are justified, or after they believe? Is this the account of a non-believer working really hard to try and be justified by the law? Or is this a believer who is wrestling with sin? Starting in verse 14, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right... Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So again, there are lots of arguments about this passage. And while some may be more plausible than others, opinions on how to interpret these verses are not worth dividing over. In my personal opinion, I think Paul is talking about someone who is not a believer in Christ. Someone trying to justify themselves by the law rather than by faith in Christ. Zach disagrees with me as of Friday, but Zach preaches next week. So Zach can worry about that next week. And if I'm being totally honest, I'm still not 100% sure where I stand on this passage. My opinion, my stance is about a 60-40 ratio. If you ask me a month from now, my opinion may be different. Augustine, one of the greatest Christian writers and thinkers in all of history, changed his mind throughout his life on this passage. So don't blame me. There's good precedent for changing your mind. But for now, I'm going to assume that Paul is illustrating the struggle of a non-believer trying to justify themselves by obedience to the law rather than being justified by faith in Christ. And if you read verses 14 through 23, that person's situation is frustrating, to say the least. This is a person who likes the thought of obeying God's law in their mind, but they just can't seem to work it out in their body. They want to be righteous, but no matter how hard they try, they just keep spinning their wheels. When they want to do good, they do evil. And when they don't want to do evil, they do it anyway. It's almost as if there's something wrong with this person that the law can't fix. It's almost as if something needs to be addressed within them before they can truly bear fruit for God. And at that point, Paul would look at that person and say, exactly. Now you're getting it. There is something wrong with you that needs to be addressed, that the law can't fix. Like we said earlier, the problem isn't the law of God. The problem is us. 
In and of ourselves, we are of the flesh, but the law is spiritual. We are sold under sin, captive to its power. And even though we may like the thought of bearing fruit for God, no matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to get it right by our power. Something's wrong with us. Something needs to be changed. And only faith in Christ can change it. And really, verses 14 through 23... Isn't that the story of Israel in the Old Testament? God gave them the law. And they really liked the idea of obeying God and worshiping God and loving God. And yet, they just kept failing. Perhaps Paul can relate. Perhaps you and I can relate. Now again, I don't think Paul wrote this passage with a believer in Jesus in mind. I think he's illustrating the futile struggle of a non-believer trying to justify themselves by the law. But there are still good arguments for reading this passage from the other angle. A believer who's been justified by faith in Jesus but is still wrestling with sin. I mean, every single one of us knows what it's like to struggle with sin, don't we? Every single one of us knows what it's like to long for holiness in our hearts and minds and yet see something less than holiness in our bodies and in our lives. So one way or another, regardless of how you read these verses, justified people ought to be able to relate to the struggle of this passage. We can look back at our attempts to justify ourselves and bear fruit for God by our own efforts before we believed, and we can see that we were spinning our wheels. Or we can think of our lives right now, and we can sympathize with the person who is wrestling with sin, and yet they feel like they're getting nowhere. We all know that feeling of frustration. We all know that feeling of despair. And you know, in a roundabout way, maybe those feelings of frustration and despair can be a good thing. Because look at what Paul says in verse 24. Wretched man that I am. You ever felt like saying that about yourself? I've said it about myself. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So maybe part of why the law was given to sinners was not to justify us. It was never meant to do that. But perhaps part of the reason it was given was to help us come to the exasperated conclusion of verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Maybe part of why God gave the law to sinners, knowing that it would never justify us, that we would never truly keep it, and failing over and over and over and over, maybe it would point our eyes to something, or better yet, someone who could justify us, who could keep the law, who wouldn't fail. 
And so who will rescue us from this body of death? Well, the gospel gives us the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So don't ever forget that the law cannot save you. Think back to the time before you believed, when you trusted something other than Christ, anything other than Christ, for your justification. There is no way that you could have the same confidence, the same assurance that you have now in Christ when you weren't bearing fruit for God, but were bearing fruit for death. That's not who you are anymore. You are no longer captive to the law, fruitlessly and vainly trying to be righteous by your own strength, constantly living in defeat and despair. You belong to Christ now. You have already been justified. And as we speak, you are being sanctified. You have been rescued from that old body of death. And you now live by the Spirit. Or if you're currently struggling with sin, remember that the law has never been the answer, and the law is not the answer now. Christ is the answer. Because he came to do what the law could not do, to justify sinners and to make us fit to bear fruit for God. So if you're frustrated with the losses that you sustain in your battles against sin, the solution is not to try harder to be more righteous by your own blood, sweat, tears, and strength of will. The solution is to cling closer to Christ. He will rescue you from this body of death. And one day the battle with sin that we all fight will finally be over. But back to our what now question about the law. What do justified people do with the law today? Well, we read it. We treasure it. We thank God for it. But we never believe that it can save us. It won't. It was never meant to. The law was and still is holy and righteous and good. It still has a lot to teach us about God's character and God's expectations for his people. It exposes and identifies sins in our lives. It reminds us of our need for Christ. It has a place. But it doesn't save us. And in fact, as justified people, knowing what the law can and can't do allows us to love it in a way that we didn't before. Because now when you read the law as a justified person, you don't just stay in a state of despair when you remember how sinful you are. We aren't just intimidated into begrudging obedience, trying to work really hard to make God love us or keep God loving us. Instead, we read the law and rejoice that Christ has come. Rejoice that he has done what the law could not do. Rejoice that he kept it, fulfilled it, and justified sinners like us. So we have died to the law in terms of trying to justify ourselves. And we now belong to Christ and bear fruit for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We are free to love and serve God, not trying to earn his approval by our performance, but knowing that we have been justified by Christ. So may we live with the same thanksgiving that Paul announces in verse 25. When we remember just how wretched we really are, may we quickly also remember, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the opportunity to read your word. Thank you that every single one of us has the law in our possession. Bibles are everywhere. We can read the Ten Commandments. We can read Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and and Numbers and learn a great deal about who you are. Learn a great deal about what you've done in the past. Learn a great deal about who we are. But Father, also thank you that that law, while it is holy and righteous and good, It does not save us. Our salvation, our justification is not dependent upon us following the rules, on us getting everything right, on us earning or keeping your approval through our performance. Our salvation, our justification all comes back to your son, Jesus Christ, the one who did what the law could not do. So, Father, help us to love the law to recognize its value, to treasure it, to appreciate it, to read it, to learn from it. But, Father, help us always turn to Christ. When we have doubts about our justification, when we have doubts about our salvation, when we remember just how wretched we really are, may we remember just how holy your Son, Jesus Christ, is. May we remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for our sins. And because of that, we are justified. Again, Father, we love you, we worship you, we honor you. We thank you for Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen.